Welcome to Investing Compass. Before we begin, a quick note that the information contained in this podcast is general in nature, does not take into account your personal situation, circumstances, or needs. So, Shani, I had deja vu. On Sunday, I headed to the pub to write a podcast episode on hybrids. And I just had this like strange feeling that I had done this before. And it got to the point where I actually looked through all of my documents to see if I could find this lost episode. I mean, I think you really shouldn't tell people you write these things at the pub. I mean, they listen to them. It should be fairly obvious, (laughs) right? Well, it turns out that I didn't write this before, which I think means I'm either going crazy or I need a vacation. Yeah, I mean, I think you need both. Well, I wouldn't rule out the possibility it's both. But yeah, crazy people need vacations too. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway. The question today is, are you crazy for investing in hybrids, or are they such good investments that you can go on vacation as much as you want? All right. So maybe before we make these pronouncements, we should probably talk about what hybrids are. So Mark, did you figure out a good way to define them at the pub? Uh, I didn't really come up with a good way, but you know, we can just go with the classic definition that they are a security that has debt-like and equity-like characteristics. Which is a terrible definition. Yeah, yeah, it is. But this is the part where I swear that we've done this before. I don't know. Was this a dream? Do you think that I had a dream about it? Have I finally lost it, Shani? Look, I don't think we should rule out dementia, but I'll I'll let you off on this one because we have done this before. <laughs> Early onset dementia. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe not. <laughs> wow. But we did speak about hybrids. We answered one of the questions we received from the Q&A episode. Okay. That's true. So yes. I'm not crazy. No. But I do need a vacation. Yeah. I okay. mean, you, it could, you could still be both. But. Okay. All right. Well, anyway. So the important thing to know about a hybrid is that there is more risk than a bond if a company goes out of business, and there is less risk than an equity if a company goes out of business. So that's called subordination, and where a hybrid ranks in the pecking order of who gets their money back if a company goes under. And key to successful investing is not to pick companies that go out of business. So let's say you do buy a hybrid from a company that doesn't go out of business. What can you expect as an investor? Yeah. And I know there's a lot of like out of business talk, but that's what bond investors worry about, Mm. right? Like that's what like a bond portfolio manager spends all their time thinking about, like, will this company go out of business? So, you know, it's a very pessimistic thing, Yeah. right? Okay. (laughs) Well, anyway, So what you can expect out of a hybrid is you can expect higher income than equities. You can also expect lower volatility, which means they will bounce around in price less. So they'll go down in price less, but they'll also go up in price less. So basically what you're getting from hybrids is income. And that's a good way to think about hybrids, because if we're interested in income, we can compare it to shares and bonds. So why don't you tell us about income from a bond? Okay. Well, the issue with trying to get income from a bond is that most of them are fixed rate. So the good thing is that you know exactly what you're getting. So yes, as we said before, the company could go out of business, but if it doesn't, then it's a contractual obligation that they pay you that set amount of interest for the life of the bond. The problem, of course, is that over time, inflation will make the level of interest less in real terms. Times of high inflation, that is, of course, really bad because the real level of interest you're receiving is a lot less. All right. So what about shares, Shani? 
All right, so with shares, the dividend income you own is not a contractual obligation. That means a perfectly healthy and successful company can just cut a dividend because it's management's prerogative, but they can also raise dividends. Over time, a company that is making more profits can grow the dividends, which is a great thing for investors. So Mark, what exactly happens with a hybrid? Well, a hybrid is a little different. So nobody's going to raise the income you're getting from a hybrid, but at the same time, they are mostly floating rate. That means that if interest rates are going up, your income will go up as well. The advantage that this gives you as an investor is not so much from an income perspective, but from a price perspective. That means that when interest rates go up, which makes bonds go down in price and often makes shares go down in price, a hybrid is generally in better shape. That's why they are less volatile. All right. So let's take a quick check-in. What was happening at the pub when you were trying to figure out how volatile a hybrid is? Yeah. Well, actually, there's this woman next to me and she was talking to her mates and she was telling them, or I think they already knew this, but she was a nurse in a mental health hospital. <laughs> and she was saying that you have to be really careful about giving patients phones because one woman sold her house in a psychotic state. Okay. And this made you think about volatility? It did make me think about volatility <laughs> because it often drives people to make poor decisions like selling your house on your phone. Okay. Bit of a stretch. But um, so hybrids have less volatility than shares and they have higher income than shares. That gives us some clues about who would like to invest in hybrids. That's right, Shani. So people in retirement or approaching retirement like less volatility. And that is because they are the ones selling things in their portfolio to pay for their lives, which puts them most at risk for selling low because, of course, they have to sell. They also like higher income because those payments can, of course, fund the withdrawals from their portfolios. And finally, they care less about years of growing income because they have shorter time horizons, which means higher current income is more attractive even if it doesn't grow. Sounds like your portfolio is filled with hybrids, Mark. Wow. So I actually own a grand total of zero hybrid shoddy. So, and I, I am young at heart, mm. I'll have you know. <laughs> um, speaking of things you're into, hybrids also get franking credits, which further boosts income and is not available on bonds. Okay. Well, I wouldn't say I'm into franking credits, but yes, you do get franking credits. And I would say a lot of Australians are into franking credits. Is that fair, Shani? That is fair. Okay. So as we talked about, hybrids are very popular with people approaching retirement and in retirement. And one of the reasons and a good demonstration of this is, of course, this year. So bonds have done really poorly this year and hybrids have done better. That's right. And there's an actively managed hybrid ETF from BetaShares with the ticker symbol HBRD. As of August 22nd, it's down 1.23% this year, and that is much better than bonds have done with the Vanguard Australian Fixed Interest ETF with the ticker symbol VAF, down 8.26% over the same time period. And this is indicative of the fact that most hybrids are floating rate and perform better in a rising interest rate environment. Okay, so since you mentioned an ETF, this is maybe a good time to pivot to how you can actually get access to hybrids. So of course, there is that ETF that Shani mentioned. HBRD, but just remember that that is actively managed and it comes with an expense ratio of 0.55%, which is higher than you would expect to pay on a passive ETF, but not really out of line of what active ETFs are priced at. And there is just buying an individual hybrid. But this is where we do have to talk a bit about regulation and something called the DDO or the Design and Distribution Obligation. 
What this essentially means is that any product sold as an IPO or initial public offering must only be sold to appropriate customers. All right. So now we're going to get a little bit ridiculous and dive into some ASICs rules, Shani, which I think you like. Do I? Yeah. You like reading PDSs. You're very by the book, <laughs> right? So ASIC has divided up people who have traditionally purchased a hybrid into five categories, which is a little shocking. All right. So we'll get to the definition in a second, but let's just go through those five categories. So we have wholesale investors, investors who receive a high level of financial advice, investors who receive a lower level of financial advice, investors who receive no financial advice, and investors who apply for the IPO after receiving a shareholder offer. So the only categories of those ridiculous categories that are likely to be able to buy hybrids given DDO are the wholesale investor and those that receive a high level of financial advice. So perhaps we should define those two categories. A wholesale investor is someone that is deemed sophisticated by ASIC. All right. So Shani, sophisticated, right? So a sophisticated investor must be someone that's experienced and knowledgeable about investing. So what is there? There's a test to show that you're sophisticated. Is that right, Shani? Well, that would make sense, but not quite. You need to either make an investment of at least $500,000 or more in an investment fund. If you are making a smaller investment than that, you need a qualified accountant to issue a certificate that says you have a gross income of at least $250,000 for the last two financial years or have gross assets of $2.5 million or more. Okay, so sophistication is either having a lot of money or making a lot of money. Apparently. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, so if I'm not using a financial advisor and I don't have enough money to meet the definition of a wholesale investor, it sounds like I can't buy hybrids. Kind of. Uh, you can't buy a hybrid through an IPO, but you can buy them on the secondary market. And the secondary market is simply where you're buying a hybrid from another investor and not directly from the issuer. Okay, so you're telling me that anyone can buy a hybrid the day after the IPO. Yes. But only certain people can buy the exact same security the day before. Yes. <laughs> okay, well, do you think that this qualifies as the dumbest rule ever? Yeah, a little. Yeah, okay. So anyway, clearly there is a worry from ASIC that hybrids are too sophisticated for individual investors. So let's go through some things to look for when considering a hybrid because they do come in a lot of flavors. So, Shanika, what are some of the things that we can consider? Well, the first thing you can look at is who is issuing the hybrid. Many are being issued by banks because in the event of difficulties, they can convert those hybrids to shares, which protects the bank at the expense of the hybrid holder. The advantage for an investor from buying a bank-issued hybrid is that they're heavily regulated, especially around the capital that they're forced to hold, and more incentivized to not have bad outcomes occur to hybrid holders because of reputational risk. Morningstar Investor is built for investors by investors. It provides independent research and data on over 40,000 securities, tools to build and maintain an investment portfolio, and investor education resources to support you, regardless of where you are in your investing journey. Explore opportunities with our monthly global best ideas. Explore our ETF model portfolios. Plan better with two years of dividend forecasts for ASX-listed stocks. And stay informed with independent thought leadership. We've built tools to help you construct, monitor, and maintain your portfolio, including our Portfolio Manager, integrated with one of Australia's leading portfolio tracking tools, ShareSight. 
Morningstar has been empowering investor success for over 35 years. We're passionate about your outcomes and are here every step of the way as you achieve them. Take out a free four-week trial to access our resources. Find the details in the episode notes. All right. So another thing you can look at, of course, is will you get your quarterly distribution from the hybrid? So that's the interest. And of course, the interest you're receiving is a major source of return. So it's important to assess what situations would cause you not to receive those payments. So this can obviously be a difficult thing to determine, but this is just doing an analysis of the company and their prospects going forward. In many ways, this is similar to the analysis you would do on a company to determine if they would pay a dividend. So look at the prospects going forward, look at their payout rate and their level of debt. In many cases, hybrids have something called a dividend stopper. It basically means that if a hybrid isn't paying interest, the company can't pay a dividend. So the analysis of the dividend is just a conservative way to assess the hybrid's chance of stopping payment. The other big component of returns is getting your principal at the end. This is when we need to look at two important dates for the hybrid. There is a first call date, which is when the issuer can redeem it or give you your money back. Most of the time it happens. In that case, the investor is interested in the yield to call, which is a calculation that shows you the return you will achieve if the hybrid is redeemed on that date. So let's say the yield to call is 6%. That 6% would include coupon payments, the time to maturity, and the amount due at maturity, and then any associated capital gains or loss at that event, the event of maturity. It also assumes that coupon payments are reinvested. Many investors will also look at a figure called the running yield. In this case, it is ignoring any capital gain or loss you make at maturity and just focuses on coupon payments and franking credits you are getting and dividing that by the current market price. So the bottom line with hybrids is that as an investor, you need to assess if the typical qualities that they have, paying more income than most shares and fixed interest and having less volatility than shares is something that matches your investment approach and goals. After that, it's looking at the current environment for hybrids and what you can expect to return if all coupon repayments are made and you are paid back in maturity. In many cases, hybrids issued by major banks in late August 2022 are trading at yield to maturities between the upper 5% to lower 7% right now. If you're looking at a hybrid issued by a major bank, it is more than likely that you will get your money back at maturity given the level of regulatory scrutiny, but just remember... Anything can happen. Anything can happen, Shani. Good words to end this on. (laughs) So I will now leave the pub. It's weird. Like, we're obviously not recording this at the pub. Mm, We should do one at the pub. That would make Will crazy. (laughs) There would be background noise. We'd have to rent out the pub. Okay. Well, we'll work on that. But anyway, thank you guys for listening. We hope you enjoyed our episode on hybrids. Come to our conference October 13th in Sydney at the ICC. You can meet Shawnee and... And Mark. And me. (laughs) And go to a pub afterwards. Sounds like a good plan. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Any advice in this podcast is general advice or regulated financial advice under New Zealand law prepared by Morningstar Australasia Proprietary Limited and or Morningstar Research Limited without reference to your financial objectives situations or needs. You should consider the advice in light of these matters and any relevant product disclosure statement before making any decision to invest. To obtain advice for your own situation, contact a financial advisor.